Hello, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Is your nonprofit growing? The average growth year over year for nonprofits is about 5%. 5% more donations, 5% more donors, 5% more revenue, and 5% more impact. Now, 5% year over year, that's good. Until we turn and look at an inflation rate of 10 to 15%, and then it's not actually even growth anymore. But what if I told you there was a way to grow faster? A way to reach huge, mission-busting, stuff-of-dreams-type growth, otherwise known as exponential growth? Well, there is. And that's why we invited Matt Scott, the author of The High Growth Nonprofit, CEO and co-founder of Cosmic, and a longtime friend of Fundraise to join us to talk about exactly this, exponential growth. As the title of his book suggests, Matt is here today discussing proven steps to quickly double your nonprofit's revenue and drive impact. He's backing up these actionable insights with stories, examples, and analogies galore. Seriously, there's something for everyone in this episode. So settle in for a conversation centered in thinking big and changing big for breathtakingly big growth. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. So we're creating this inclusive environment, building between diverse communities to ensure that our young people can thrive. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story then you're doing it wrong okay that is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board the best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world if you're going to be sustainable you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors however they want to be reached one of the principal values that we carry as an organization is to lift grace over guilt. And we believe that grace is the greatest agent for change that anyone can ever experience. We all need each other in terms of other nonprofits working together to solve things. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else that you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Nonstop Nonprofit Podcast. I'm David Schwab, your host and director of growth and marketing at Fundraise. Today, we have a longtime Fundraise friend, founder and CEO of Cosmic, Matt Scott. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Stoked to be back here. Thanks a lot, David. Well, Matt, it's a conversation today I've been looking forward to a long time. We got in touch uh, a while back. Um, just before the launch of your new book, uh, The High Growth Nonprofit. I knew as soon as I saw the the cover, I was like, I got to get Matt on the podcast. You know, you've, you've been a, a fundraise friend for a long time. Uh, I know last time you got to talk with Justin, so I hope this isn't too much of a step down, but I promise we're having a good conversation. But anyway, I, you know, I'm really excited today to dig into The High Growth Nonprofit with you talk about that. Obviously, nonprofit growth and and growth in general is something that not only I I know a little bit about, but I'm passionate about. It's part of my title. And it's something I've been pushing in the sector for a long time. Before I was at Fundraise, I was a digital consultant. 
And most of the conversations I had were, how do we use new technology to grow? What are the things that we need to do to grow? And quite honestly, you know, there just haven't been good answers. Like, yes, you can have as many of those conversations as you want. But as I was reading through your book, I was like, these are all of the things, all of the conversations that I had over and over and over distilled, put onto paper that you can hand a board, that you can hand a CEO, can hand a president. So first of all, thank you for writing this and putting it down. I know it took a lot of your team's time and attention, uh, but I think this book is so awesome. And I am excited to spend the next little bit in this conversation to dig into a couple of the topics that I thought were really impactful and help organizations uh, hopefully find a tidbit or two to grow. But before we dive into the book, do you mind just giving our audience a little bit of your background, talk a little bit about Cosmic, how you got into the nonprofit sector, what kept you in, what took you into the consulting side of it? Yeah, totally. I'll say what's going to probably keep me in is your intro. So <laughs> thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for that build up, man. That was nice of you for taking the time to read the book. I appreciate it. Yeah, I- I'm Matt, and I've been in the nonprofit sector for a little over a decade. I think that that what what I like most about this sector is we all have these big missions. We all have these big audacious goals programmatically, right? For me, I worked at a nonprofit called Team Rubicon. It's a disaster relief organization. Uh, we were repurposing the skills and and experience of military veterans to respond to natural disasters. And we had this like crazy audacious big goal to be the best disaster relief organization in the world. And that just felt like a really awesome place to park my park my uh, my passion. You know, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I'll be damned if I'm not the hardest working. So I figured if I'm going to do my time, you know, professionally just working it, grinding it out, I might as well do it at a place that I was inspired by the work we were doing. So that's my background, man. I come from the nonprofits. I come from high growth nonprofits and been doing uh, growth consulting for a little over a decade with all kinds of incredible nonprofit organizations that, that inspire me and keep me keep me motivated on the regular. Right. Well, just because I think you, you intentionally didn't say it, but I, I will say it for you. As we talk, start talking about growth and, and you mentioned being part of high growth organizations, your time at Team Rubicon wasn't full of stagnant growth either. Can you just remind us and, and our audience what, you know, when you started at Team Rubicon to when you ended your time at Team Rubicon, what was that growth like? Yeah, I, I was there for seven years. And when I started, we were at about 275,000 in annual revenue. And when I left, we were at 51 million in annual revenue. And yeah, it was a, it was a crazy and wild ride and, and I uh, can share yeah. more about it. But actually, oddly enough, before that, I worked at another high growth nonprofit, but it was more established. So we went from tens of millions of dollars to hundreds of millions of dollars in a really short period of time. I was there for about three years, but it was an entirely different maturity stage. Um, so I got to do it at a stage of organizational maturity at an organization that had been around for decades, but got brought on new leadership with a vision for growing. And then I, I got to do it in a very entrepreneurial setting. And so, yeah, I think also I, I hope what's reflected in the book and hopefully in this conversation too, is that a lot of this stuff I found scales up, scales down, scales across. Like these are just how to, they're like, they're specific, tangible ways to grow in any environment uh, where you're trying to make the most out of, you know, not having enough time or money in order to execute all your ideas. So yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think that's a, a perfect segue into what I wanted to have you on and talk about today. Uh, because one of the things that I felt so often is a fear of growth. Mm. You know, the nonprofit sector talks so often about the 80-20 rule where, and I'm sure you're well familiar with it, but 80% of every gift given needs to go directly to the cause. Yep. And if you 
don't stay within that 20% of overhead. I hate that word, by the way. Uh, But if you don't stay within that 20% of overhead, you're a bad nonprofit. And I think that's led to a fear of growth. But with where we're at today, I think where I wanted to start the conversation is why organizations should be mindful of growth and should want Mm -hmm. to grow and what the opposite of being growth-minded is as a nonprofit today. Yeah. Great point. And you're right, David. Like, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the nonprofit sector is, you know, if we're in a for-profit sector, especially if we're investor backed, but, you know, regardless, right, we get to think further out. We might get to think about customer acquisition costs two, three years out, having that return on investment. What's the total lifetime value of that customer versus the acquisition cost? And an acquisition cost is not just, you know, the the true marketing sense, which I, I mean, I can't wait to pick your brain on. You know more about that than I do. But It's also like the whole infrastructure, the technology, the people, the content creators, all of that stuff goes into acquisition and nonprofits are challenged because they have to have that return on investment within the first 12 months, within the calendar year, not even within 12 months, within the calendar Mm -hmm. year or fiscal year, right? And that's a huge challenge. So, but at its core, like what I've seen literally hundreds of times, I've done this now hundreds of times with nonprofit leaders, helping them very quickly grow. By that, I mean, you know, double, triple their revenue over a two to three year period. What I found is that most nonprofit leaders are, are not allowed to think big enough. They, they set their targets really low. And so the very first exercise we go through with a client is transitioning from an incremental to an exponential growth mindset. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you're spending more money to get there. That's the important thing. And that's how it ties back to your question around, you mm-hmm. know, the overhead. We actually sit clients down and we say, okay, let's, let's get around a whiteboard and answer this simple question. How do we double our revenue with half the resources over the next three years? And what we found is like by force, by creating a resource constrained environment, you actually like you lead to like these really creative and innovative ideas, but most importantly, it leads to like ruthless prioritization. So what I like about an exponential growth mindset of thinking like we can in fact double, triple our revenue over two to three period, we don't have to spend more to do it, is that it gets you, it shakes you out, especially for an established Mm -hmm. organization who just keeps doing what they've been doing just a little bit better each year. It gets them out of that mindset. It gets them to create, uh, think differently. And it's, it's how you can then make these bold calculated risk with mm-hmm. some level of you know comfort in knowing that you're going to see a return. It's just not possible if you think, how do I take my rubber chicken gala every year and make it a little bit better? You know, like you're not ever, you're never going to invest in technology like fundraise. You're not going to get HubSpot. You're not going to like do these mm-hmm. things. You're just not. If you're always thinking about let me just take the way that we've been doing it for the last 20, 30 years and do it a little bit better, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's such an important point here and reminds me, we just just released an episode with my friend, Andrew Olson. I'm not sure if you know him or not. Also a a consultant in the fundraising and, and nonprofit leadership space, but he closed our podcast episode with what may be one of the most challenging statements I heard, and I'm going to get your response to it now. So he said, directed to a nonprofit leader, if you're more concerned with maintaining the status quo than you are with making your mission impact, mm-hmm. you're probably in the wrong role. I just yeah. want to get your take on that. Yeah. Oh, I don't know him, but I like him. Uh, look forward. <laughs> I'm getting a lot out of this already. I'm, I, I, you know, I love, I love to continuously learn. So I can't wait to go listen to that episode. But uh, I mean, that's right. I'm, I couldn't agree more. Right. Yeah. 
a lot of people get into this space and they kind of go, they go through the, the, you start in the annual fund and then you become a gift officer, a major gift officer. And now you're, you know, a director of development and, and fundraisers are notorious for this. I know when I was a fundraiser, I used to sometimes do the same thing. You set your targets so low. And then of course, everyone's like, oh, wow, we exceeded our revenue target and everyone up and down the food chain likes it. Right. Because the mm -hmm. board like thinks it looks good and all that. But man, I'll tell you, my time at Team Rubicon just shook the shit out of that thought process. It mm -hmm. just it just destroyed it because it was like, if we're going to be the best disaster relief organization in the world, we're going to need resources to do it. We're going to have to grow our volunteer base, not by hundreds, but by tens of thousands. How do we get to 100,000 mm -hmm. volunteers in the next three years? And so I love what he's saying because it ties it back to the work and ultimately the mission. And, and if you were... If your mission is big and audacious and, you know, you want to uh, like one of our, our mutual clients dig deep, right? They want to eliminate the fact that like 2.2 million Americans are without clean running water. Well, if you're going to take that on, you, you need to think big. You can't be thinking small. You can't think, think small and then try to exceed your goal. So I love that. I love that Andrew tied it back to the mission, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, what you're talking about there, I think is critical. It's something that I challenged my marketing team at Fundraise here. At the beginning of the year, I said, let's make a really scary goal. And we set goals that we thought were just audacious. And as you start to come up with plans to hit these audacious goals, you realize the way you used to do things and the way you used to think about things, they just don't apply. Like, yep. if you want to grow, like you're talking about, if you want to grow 5%, you can keep doing what you're doing and send 5% more letters in the mail or send 5% more emails or increase your ask array on your donation page by 5%. And you're like, yep. yeah, great. We'll have our pizza party at the end of the year. Yep. But really, if we think about inflation, we just lost 15%. Yeah. Year yeah. Year. Yeah. And I think it's so critical for organizations, specifically leaders at organizations now to adopt this growth mindset because the market is so volatile, because everything around us is changing faster than ever with new technologies and changing economic, global economics and like macro and micro and all of these things affecting even the most hyper local nonprofit organization mm -hmm. is affected by these macro trends. If you're not thinking about radical growth, mm -hmm. it's almost to the point where you're like, like Andrew said, like it's time to hang up your cleats and go get a corporate job selling vacuums as one of my old bosses used to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, man. Yeah. Um, so as we're thinking about this growth mindset you talk about in the book and I thought was was really important and I wanted to talk about next here is when you set these big goals, it's really easy to look at the goals and say, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to have the best possible plan in place. Everything has to be perfect. We have yeah. to know step by step by step what we're going to do. And I mean, you even posted about it today on LinkedIn where Organizations can spend upwards of almost quarter million dollars on internal and external costs, just putting their annual plan together, let yep. alone this like big, I'm going to triple, I'm going to double revenue over the next three years. Like yep. talk about some ways you help organizations and you help leaders get out of that, the literal paralysis by analysis, that stage yeah. of, of it. Yeah. It's like, it's a chasing perfection over progress, right? Yeah. This is a common problem. I mean, you, you kind of describe like the strategic planning process, right? Like we have to have the, the plan has to be baked and everyone has to sign off and et cetera. And, you know, it, at its core, I think it's because well, let's start with the challenge. The challenge is that nonprofits and most teams, frankly, rely on unstructured meetings 
in order mm -hmm. to make big strategic decisions and set priorities. Unstructured meetings are where you invite a bunch of people to a room, like, I don't know, six, eight, whatever, your leadership team. And you say, okay, what's going to be our big strategy? And you end up just talking in circles. And ultimately, the only thing that comes out of that is another meeting. <laughs> Very mm -hmm. rarely are you able to prioritize anything. So you'll see this like on in our approach on a strategic level, but also beginning to operationalize, which is what you're talking about. So you set this big audacious goal. We're going to double revenue with half the resources next three years. Okay. Well, what are the key strategies? How are we going to do that? Let's say you want to take an audience led approach, meaning you're going to reach the, each supporter on the right channel with the right message at the right time. Okay. Well, to do that, there's all these things that need to happen. They could be like the thing you got to do is you just start listing them out. Like it could be, um, a new donor welcome series so that when people give, they, they're nurtured there. It could be, uh, setting up Google analytics for, right. Making sure that you've got a way to measure and track the eff effectiveness of this. It could be, you know, big things like we got to redesign our website. It could be implementing a new fundraising solution, whatever these things might be. You just outline all of the actions that would have to go into creating an audience led approach. And then you think about, okay, well, how much impact will this have on that goal of doubling our revenue over the next three years? Mm -hmm. And how much is it going to cost, be it time or money? And anything that's, you know, low cost, high impact is a priority one. Anything that's high impact, but also high cost. So let's take that, that example of implementing a new CRM. It might be a very high impact, but it might be a very high mm -hmm. cost. Mm -hmm. So you have to build out like a list of all the things that need to be done. And then it's like, okay, who is responsible for this actual output? What is a realistic timeline? And now instead of having an unstructured meeting where you essentially spend six, three to six months just talking about a strategy, you have, this is our big goal. We've determined what are the three kind of ways in which we're going to execute that this year. What are the specific items that need to happen? Who is responsible for them? Are they, how are we going to resource these? And it just, it begins to move from talk to action. And I think that that's pretty critical if you're going to grow your organization is you need to have a bias for action over a bias for documentation. You need to have these frameworks, these methodologies for, <laughs> for turning ideas into action. So I don't know if that's what you, what you were thinking, but that, that's just, I think that's so core because talk is cheap. Ultimately, you know, ideas are shit without execution and you have to execute. And so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I was leading with that question. When I was working in fundraising, I would more often than I care to admit run into scenarios where we would delay the launch of a campaign because we couldn't agree whether or not to use an Oxford comma in an email. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, and it led me to this thing that like this statement that I parrot all the time now is an imperfect appeal or an imperfect message, an imperfect ask or offer mm -hmm. delivered at the right time is going to do exponentially more for your organization than a perfect appeal delivered too late. Yeah. I actually have a great example that, that, that comes to mind for me. Like, again, I came from disaster response, right? So we're working with with one of our clients and they're they have four programmatic pillars clean water beach access plastic pollution and reducing the impact of climate change right and they've got an awesome tech stack they got a great website they got all that stuff well when this historic flooding happened in California there was a need like on our team we identified hey this seems like an urgent appeal moment 
you got to get out there and ask for for money. This is not an organization that typically responds to natural disasters, but this historic flooding literally, literally hit all four of those programmatic pillars. We're going to have, you know, clean drinking water is going to be jeopardized because we got to do water testing out there. Plastic pollution is going to come up on the beach. Obviously, this is the impact of climate change, et cetera. Well, because they took too long to even determine mm-hmm. whose decision is it, whether we're going to go or no go. And then once it was go, it was like, okay, we need it to be perfect. And how is this going to impact what pro- we had to get programming to buy in and all these different stakeholders. And it was like, boom, then they had the perfect message. The message was beautiful, but the timing was completely off <laughs> because people, yeah. that news cycle is so tight now. And so we mm-hmm. used to see this all the time at Team Rubicon where we would have to move up further and further up the solicitation. And one mm-hmm. thing that we did that was just game changing was like, don't worry about it. Literally, we would get out in front of a disaster and we would send out a solicitation. And if mm-hmm. we ended up not responding to that disaster, because thank God this hurricane didn't hit the, you know, hit the hit the coastline and it stayed out and fluttered out or whatever, we would reach back out to those folks and we'd say, hey, we took this money. We appreciate your support. It allowed us to get the resources that we needed in place in order to respond. And we don't need to respond to this one. We're so thankful for it. Would you like that money back or would you like us to apply it to the next disaster? Mm-hmm. And literally, I am not kidding, David, we never had a single person ask us for that money back. But when we missed that cycle, when we missed that news cycle, we would just raise hundreds of dollars instead of hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yep, yep. timing is everything. And I think what you're talking about there is is so important is timing matters more than content, more than anything. I remember working with a, a huge organization right at the beginning of covid and it was like February, March of 2020. No yeah. one knows what's happening. This organization's headquartered in New York and San Francisco. So they're literally the epicenter of, yeah. of everything. And like, we don't know what to do. This impacts everything we do, but we don't do anything to impact it. So like, we can't go mm-hmm. ask for funds. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen to our donors. And their CEO sent an internal memo. And I was like, why don't we just send that to everybody? Yeah. Yeah. It was a text only email. It wasn't formatted. It wasn't designed. It didn't have header, logo, imagery, anything. It's like, why don't we just send that? Yeah. And to their benefit, they said yes. And it was their single biggest fundraising appeal of the year. And it wasn't even a fundraising appeal. Yeah. 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 See, get out there, right? Like, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's, and that's, that, that actually lends itself to another thing that nonprofits, you know, whenever they do this, it always works is like donors are your investors. They're investors, Mm -hmm. right? So, Mm -hmm treat them like investors. Uh, you know, the, the, the founder of, of fundraise, uh, Justin, a friend of mine now, yep. you know, he's at, he was at Liberty in North Korea, visible children before that. Yeah. Like they treated their donors like investors. So what you're sharing that CEO letter, that's mm-hmm. just going out, that's raw, it's real. It's just, it's authentic. And it explains that we're in the middle of a crisis. Here is what we're doing about it. That gives people faith. It, first of all, it just brings your brand up when, when mm-hmm. maybe they're not thinking about you. And then secondly, it gives them hope that like you're thinking about how this is going to impact the organization's ability to, to meet, meet whatever your mission is. And uh, mm-hmm. I love that you share that story. That's such a practical thing. It's just like, get that letter mm-hmm. out there, you know? Yeah. And now enjoy this break from your friends at Fundraise, the nonprofit industry's most innovative fundraising platform. Fundraise provides exceptional, innovative, and friendly fundraising technology focused on nonprofit growth. 
made for fundraisers by fundraisers, our state-of-the-art platform integrates every core aspect of front and back-end fundraising management into a convergent platform perfect for nonprofiteers like you. Every day, we celebrate nonprofits like UNHCR and National Wildlife Federation as they trust fundraise to power fundraising campaigns around the world. Warning, we go through a lot of confetti. Get started raising the funds and the fun at fundraise.org. That's F-U-N-R-A-I-S-E dot O-R-G. Now that you've heard how Fundraise can level up your fundraising game, let's get back to the conversation. Changing topics a little bit, but very much in line. Another very much in line with not just being a growth-minded organization, but an organization that's able to act on their growth mindset. It takes a very specific culture Mm. and a very intentional approach from leadership down. And one of the things I thought was so interesting in your book is you talk about an organization hits four growth milestones, give or take, in their Mm. history, where they go from being founder-led and founder part of everything to having the first layer of management and that founder's not involved in the day-to-day anymore. And then they go to like, okay, now they're now they're a large enterprise type organization and now they're an international mm-hmm. organization. And um, you give some great examples of these in your book. But I wanted to talk about that, like that culture, because it one, it could be scary when you reach those points where you're like, hey, I like, especially as a founder, as a leader, like I have to let go of control. So mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about like your conversations and how you coach leaders through those big milestones and maybe assuage some of the fears or, or pain that comes through those big changes. Yeah. Totally. So you're kind of talking about, we talk about how like the evolutions and revolutions of organizational growth and has, as you move through this process of growing, inevitably what works right now to solve the pain points and the problems that you're experiencing are not going to necessarily work in the future. So yeah, first you're, you're this entrepreneurial organization and you're really dependent on the founder of the organization. And I bet the majority of nonprofits listening probably fall into that category because we know that 85% are less than a million in annual revenue, right? So they're out there and they're founder led and that person is picking the technology. They're doing everything. They're doing everything. They're sending the donor letters out. They're trying to figure out just like every little thing that has to be done, right? Well, as they start to like go into the next phase of growth where they're building a team and, and maybe that starts with the board and you know, volunteers or one or two paid staff members, ultimately those folks are going to begin to need direction. They are going to need leadership. They're going to need autonomy too, though, right? To take action. And so you essentially, you've got this very like entrepreneurial place where you're just telling them where you're going and then you're giving them some direction and they're they're supposed to just go out there. Well, the same thing happened like at Team Rubicon. I, I always thought like, I'm a builder, I'm a doer. You know, so you have your own personal brand, you have your own personal sweet spot, your own superpower. And for me, it's like, I'm a builder and a doer. I'm not a maintainer. So, but there came a point in Team Rubicon's evolutions and revolutions when the breath of my job began to shrink, right? Like I I wasn't doing as much breath, but it was like going deeper. And there was, there had to be structure. There had to be rules. There had to be a process for like making decisions around technology and implementing that technology. There's a process. There's um, and so for some it might say, oh well, that's red tape. It you know, it, well yeah, if you're at an entrepreneurial stage where you need to move quickly, that's probably the case. As you begin to evolve as an organization and and 
there is becomes like a need for more structure and how you make decisions and how you collaborate with stakeholders, then, you know, the, the solutions that you put in place in that first phase of growth is entirely different than what's going to come in a, mm -hmm. in a later stage of growth. So I think it's just a really critical for an organization to identify what phase of growth they're in and to, to anticipate what are the potential issues or problems or pitfalls or roadblocks that they're going to face and know that whatever worked for you today, that's probably not going to work as you move into the next phase of growth because it's going to surface all kinds of new issues for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's that fine balance of putting a safety net in. So if you fail, you don't fail too far, mm. but not enough guardrails where it's like bowling with kids, the bowling alley where you can't do anything but bowl a strike. Yeah. It's a tough place as a leader too, because you failed and you don't you don't want others to have to go through or repeat that failure, but that's also part of the process of, of learning to raise up new leaders uh, in an organization is, is creating those guardrails, but allowing the room to fail with, with things in place. So like you said, it's red tape, but red tape pointing people in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're almost talking about another, another thing that I really like is like failing forward, you know? Mm -hmm. just making sure like we, we tried stuff all the time out and we do for clients, you know, we, we try things all the time because we're trying to double revenue with half the resources. So you're going to have mm -hmm. to take some bold calculated risk. And sometimes those risks are not going to pan out. Sometimes the, you know, the investment's not going to work, but it's about like identifying, well, okay, what is our, I mean, this probably makes total sense to you as a growth marketer, but like, what are our leading indicators that this mm -hmm. strategy is working? What are our trailing indicators? Right. And you don't have to actually wait for a trailing indicator to know you need to give something enough time, but okay, let me use it a specific example. Let's say you're like, okay, our nonprofit is going to begin to use paid media to reach uh, new donors on uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, super expensive. So I'm using that ex example mm -hmm. yep. specifically, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yes, you I can... know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like getting qualified leads, of course they're higher quality, but it's very expensive compared to other social platforms, right? Okay, well, what are your leading indicators? Like, how, what's your website traffic look like? How many of those folks are are subscribing, right? They haven't yet given you any money and you don't yet know how, let's say you're trying to build a recurring giving program for mid-level and major donors and you're going to go after LinkedIn as a way to target mm -hmm. like executives making a higher income, right? but not crazy high income. So they're not major donors, but like, Hey, you could afford 250 or 500 bucks a month. Right. Okay. Well, that's a little scary because if you're waiting until that trailing indicator shows that you've given that most people aren't going to start with a $500 a month donation. So what are the leading indicators? What's that website traffic? What does that conversion rate look like for new subscribers? How many of those folks are donating of those, you know, what percentage of those folks are, are engaging in your content? Those are leading indicators of whether or not the platform, you know, that channel is working to grow your mid-level monthly giving program. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just, just a thought. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's so important as specifically as fundraisers to understand the nuance between leading and lagging indicators and how they work together. I remember so often I would be trying to push organizations to build marketing funnels and it was such a foreign mm -hmm. term to them. Because yeah. it's, you know, f a fundraiser lives and breathes by their ROI. I spent a dollar here. I made two, three, four, five dollars here, or I didn't. And mm -hmm. I can't live with that. 
So kill everything that's not a positive return. And so often I'd have to have conversations. Okay, yes, this channel is losing money. Mm -hmm. But when you invest at this channel, building your brand, building your reputation, building Mm -hmm. your awareness, you see the return in these lower channels. Do you see how when we turned on this channel, your lower funnel channels grew their return? You were averaging two and a half to three, and now you're at four. Yep. That didn't just happen because you kept spending money there. It happened because you invested in other places. So it's looking at the the full picture, yeah. but also understanding when to say, okay, this isn't working and I'm going to mm-hmm. cut my losses before it doesn't work even worse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what what do you think are some of the, what are like the most critical, um, you know, leading versus lagging indicators? I always come back to engagement versus return. Mm. Mm-hmm. So your leading indicators are always going to be engagement. Engagement looks different, obviously, on any different channel you're you're in. Whether like email engagement looks very different than direct mail engagement, looks very different mm-hmm. than organic social or content, um, looks very different than advertising. But each yeah. each channel you're investing in, each platform you're investing in, has its own core engagement metrics. And you and I could spend an entire hour talking about the engagement metrics and those leading indicators on each of those channels. I'm sure, but You've got to look at those first because that's going to tell you what's going to happen. Those lagging indicators, your revenue, your return, your conversions. So that engagement is going to influence how many people come to your website, how many people see a giving experience, how many people make a gift, what the volume of that gift is, how those sizes are, those average gifts, whether or not those gifts are one-time or recurring. And then further down, you're even looking beyond that first conversion is, okay, how... Mm-hmm. How do these people who came in through this channel perform once they made the gift? Are they one hit wonders? Yep. Or do they give like my normal give donors or yep. do they give at a higher percentage than anyone else on my file? Right. I remember it reminds me, I was working with an organization and they'd never done segmentation mm. on their email file. And I said, let's do some real simple segmentation. Let's mm-hmm. Bucket your general donors, your mid-level donors. And then instead of sending the same thing to everyone, let's also pull out your lapsed donor segment and see if we can't reactivate those donors. And we found that when we pulled those donors out and spoke to them and reminded them like, hey, once you really cared about this, something may have changed, but we'd like to invite you back in. Like these are people who haven't given in two, three years. Not only were they reactivating, but they were reactivating and proving to be higher value donors than their Mm. current file. Simply because they chose to, a little tangent, but not necessarily related to early and, and late indicators, but they chose to speak to these donors in a different way yeah. and engage with them directly on the channel they were in. We saw them come back in and it is that lagging indicator where they came in at a higher average gift, at a higher conversion rate, at a higher value and stayed on the file longer, mm-hmm. one, than the new donors they were acquiring, but also their general donor file. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, exactly. I actually think that level, that kind of email segmentation is where we probably see the biggest ROI when we think about how to customize that experience, especially during a campaign. If you can just break it out and then treat those folks differently. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. We've seen we've Mm -hmm. seen really strong ROI. So I'm glad you gave that example. Yeah. Well, I think this brings us right into the final topic I wanted to talk about. And I think it's it's such an important topic for 
not just leaders, but everyone who works in the nonprofit sector to be really mindful of, and that's technology. We're at a point in time, and this is why I chose to come to the the tech for good space and work at fundraises. We're at a point in time where organizations don't have to settle for bad technology or mm-hmm. or technology that was not built for them. We're at a point yep. where there are like there are so many options for yep. every different type of organization, every different type of cause to have tools built specifically for them. You talked about Justin and the founders at Link. That's how fundraise started is they said, yep. we don't have a tool that's right for us, so we're going to go and build it. And they realized yeah. if it works for us, it might work for someone else. And it, yeah, it yeah. does. And, and that was you know nearly 10 years ago now. But um, so we're at a, at a point where technology is part of everyday life of the nonprofiteer, not just outside of work, but at work. Yeah. Um, so how do you what I want to talk about here is how you help your your clients and the people you consult with. How do you help them, one, adopt technology and get more yeah. familiar and comfortable with technology, but also analyze their tech stack and analyze the mm-hmm. tools that they do have and potential gaps or pitfalls? And then yeah. the next part of that is, you know, okay, you've got your gaps, you've got your pitfalls. What kind of conversations and what kind of things to questions do you help them ask to find what's the right fit? Yeah. Great question, because I see technology as a big driving force for growth uh, and scaling, you know, especially when you're limited, limited resources on the human capital side, on the people side. Uh, this, this, like so many of the way, things that we do here at Cosmic, um, also comes from our experience working at a nonprofit where we hired a technology consultant. We met with a junior business analyst for an hour. They told us <laughs> exactly what tech stack we needed. We paid a lot of money to implement it. And what we ultimately were delivered was like this Ferrari. Mm-hmm. And we had no pit crew to get this thing around a track. And what we needed was like a Kia. So we needed mm-hmm. like cruise control. We needed air conditioning. Well, whatever the equivalent is in the technology space. But we didn't need like that really, really crazy level of customization because we didn't have the people or the process to max even come close to maximizing that solution set of capabilities, right? So mm-hmm. a great example is like marketing cloud, right? Like nonprofits who are who are sold marketing cloud. I don't mean to bash any one system. Marketing cloud is incredibly powerful. <laughs> it's incredibly yes. powerful. But do you have anyone on your team who's going to run queries? Who's going to like? You know, who is going to be the administrator of that system? And mm-hmm. let's say you work at a nonprofit and you you know you hire a person to run that system and you they don't know anything about it you train them up on it and now like 6 months later they're a $130,000 employee they're going to go work somewhere else you haven't documented your process now you had a single point of failure and nobody else knows how to use the system and then you're in yep. a 6 month search and you know just wash repeat wash repeat wash repeat yep. so yep. again i don't want to bash any one system but it's just like you don't need a ferrari when you need a kia and you need a few different exactly. people who know how to drive the thing so <laughs> Yep. Yeah. So like the process that we go through is, you know, we ask the end users, what are the nice to haves? What are the must haves? And then you go out and you do vendor demos and you ask them to demo those must haves. And then after you've really thought about like the implementation is the easy part of a technology, but it's like, okay, how is this going to change the way that you work? Mm-hmm. If you have a system that allows you to send an automated journey to a new donor, a lapsed donor, a monthly donor. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Are you increasing your capacity on the content side? What's your plan 
to create content so that you can plug it into this system. Well, now mm -hmm. here's something that's come up in the last just several months, right? Is AI and the role that it's going to play in generating content. So you can take, you know, you should probably have a prompt writer as, as one of your uh, open job descriptions right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> so you can take your top, you know, performing emails over, over the course of the last, you know, several years. I heard this actually at a, at a conference. It was like great advice. It was like, take your top performing emails, load that sucker up and then basically prompt it to write your new donor welcome series based off of, of your top performing emails. That's just an example of how you can actually increase your capacity, leverage new technology, mm -hmm. change the ways you're working. But if all you were doing was originally saying, we got to send new donor welcome series or like we need marketing automation, we need a way to send automated journeys, but you haven't thought about how are you going to staff those journeys? Mm -hmm. How are you going to create that content? Who's going to be out collecting those stories? You know, the ways in which you're working have to change alongside your technology or else you're going to end up overbuying tech. And it, the worst part is that your board or your people who are in authority over budget who aren't actually on the ground at the thousand foot level and they don't understand why this technology hasn't worked and they're going to write off the mm -hmm. whole the whole idea of growing your mass market audience for example yeah yeah I, it's it's something i've always said a lot is technology doesn't solve anything technology only amplifies yeah and it's it's come up a lot in the conversation with ai but in general technology is just a tool and tools Tools don't do anything without someone wielding a tool. Yeah. Now yeah. we may. Uh, by the time this podcast launches, <laughs> airs like AI. <laughs> yeah. By yeah, the, it could be a total different conversation. AI is doing some yeah. crazy stuff. But as of right now, day and date, you still need someone to run an input, someone to make sure it's go running in the right direction. Like you said, that yeah. that owner, that internal owner, and so it's really it's it's making sure you understand like it's so perfect what you're saying is understand your problems yeah but then understand who is going to own the solution to the problem and then you're bit then you'll be able to plug in and find that technology and also like so often i've seen like hey we need we need a new giving platform or we need mm -hmm. to be able to do marketing automation we need to be able to do all these things but really mm. the problem there there the problem that's being fixed by these tools is we need more revenue. Well, mm -hmm. revenue isn't a like you don't you can use tools to drive revenue, but maybe it's you don't need a whole new platform and go right. through the expensive process of getting on to the like you said that Ferrari versus Kia is such a perfect example. Like, and oftentimes most of your problems can probably be solved by the tools you have today. And right. then as you're solving those problems, you're going to feel the pain points of your tools and know okay, it's it's not actually our email marketing system; it's our CRM. Because yep. our CRM doesn't have the triggers we need to be able to talk to the people we need to, or it's our, it is our email system. So we need to go and get, we need to go and upgrade that, or we just don't have enough content to send. So even yeah. if we wanted this, we can't do it. Yeah. So awesome. Well, I think that is a really good way for us to start bringing this home. Coming back to, to where we started almost is, you know, we talked, we started this conversation, why organizations should be concerned with growth, not in a bad way, but should be, be attentive to growth, should be growth minded. Yeah. Let's hope that over the last almost hour here, we've convinced at least someone listening like, Hey, I, we need to do, like, we're not doing this and, and we're missing out. How can someone start the conversation at their organization to become 
growth minded? How does like, what is that first conversation to get out of the 5% mindset? Yeah. Well, I guess I shamelessly plugged, plugged my book, which is free. <laughs> so you yeah. can go to cosmic.com forward slash book and get it for free. Uh, literally giving this thing away. I think it's got a lot of different things in there to prompt conversation within your organization. Mm-hmm. But I would say really like gathering that leadership team around a whiteboard and asking them that question of what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to double our revenue with half the resources? And I know people, cause I've done this like literally over a hundred times and people are going to look at you and they're going to laugh and they're going to think you're crazy. And you just ask them to stay with you in the room to really work with that with you. Because just starting there with a basic list of, okay, how are we going to do this? And then just take that list up to the board and say, how impactful will this idea be? How much effort would it take? Right? How much cost would it be? What would we have to really do to make this happen? And that's going to allow an organization to narrow in on like one, two, three key strategies on how they're going to do it. And now you, boom, you're, you're off to the races. You've got a work plan that you can start to work work against. You know, I, I think that's pretty critical because if you're serious about growing, if you really are serious, you got to get the mindset to change, but then you have to, 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 to have a bias for action. You have to turn mm-hmm. your attention towards action, doing, not talking about something. So I would encourage that as step two. I definitely think your book is a great place to start. It's a great book. It's, it's a meaty read, but it's a quick read. So it's not one where you got to invest a quarter just to read to, yep. to get through it. It's it's something you can get through and digest relatively quickly. I think I thumbed a page or two in every chapter to come back to and be like, hey, I should go and you know look back at that, think back about that, or oh, that's something that I know someone can bring into their their daily work. So that's a great resource. But how else can can our audience engage with you? Oh yeah. Well we also have a great newsletter. We we offer a lot of free resources on our site, honestly. LinkedIn is great. I I try to stay up on the conversation there, um, respond to things. Justin and I are constantly sharing industry best practices. So yeah, find find uh, find us on LinkedIn as well. It's just Cosmic on LinkedIn. So that's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, which is, a, which is a natural plug for our conversation earlier. It's, it's, it's said Cosmic, but it's spelt Cosmic. So that cost David, unfortunately, a dinner, I think. Uh, yeah. I hope, I hope an expensive one at that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alex is listening. He's he is patiently waiting to tell me which sushi restaurant he's going to make me take him out to because <laughs> I I thought it was Cosmic, but I was wrong. It is Cosmic, uh, spelled Cosmic. Um, but please do go check out the book. Follow Matt and team on LinkedIn. Great content all the time. Uh, I love being able to see the see the for good sector equipped with great resources and that's what his team does. Uh, and you can get in touch with them further on their website if you want to meet with them. I know they've got a great resource, uh, free growth consultation. So yep. that's something I would recommend everyone listening. Go take whether whether you're growing 5x all the time um, or not. I'm certain you can have that consultation and get a new nugget. So take advantage of that. Get to know Matt and the team at Cosmic. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me of that. <laughs> everyone can get a free book <laughs> and a free and a free strategy call. So yeah, appreciate that. And Thanks a lot, David, for having me on. Uh, it's great to it's great to reconnect with old friends, and I really appreciate the thoughtful questions and and for making it through the book. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Matt, thanks for your time today. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built for nonprofit people by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find me on LinkedIn or text me at 714-717-2474.
And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Find us on your favorite podcast streaming service, hit that follow button, and leave us a review to help us reach more nonprofit people like you. See you next time.